Hello everyone and welcome to the 19th episode of Encrypted. Encrypted is a weekly podcast dedicated to guiding you through the crypto and blockchain universe. My name is Ahmed Al-Balaghi and I'm coming to you live from Era 2071 here in Dubai in the United Arab Emirates. Um, with me today is Faisal Al-Hawi, my co-host. Hi guys, how are you doing? Good, what are you saying? How are you doing to me or everyone? <laughs> <laughs> how are you doing? Good, good. It's been a couple of rough weeks. So busy with events and so on, but we're back on track. Yeah, how was your trip to Oxford? It was great. It was great. It was really an eye-opener. Uh, one key takeaway is that everyone is struggling. And everyone what? is struggling. When it comes to, I mean, everyone's uh, stand when it comes to blockchain, the implementation part, the regulatory part, the adoption part, even the collaboration part. Interesting. That, that was very clear that everyone is struggling because there's a lot of questions unanswered. Interesting. Hopefully our special guest today could help answer them. I'm sure um, Chris, can you introduce yourself? Yeah, my name is uh, Chris Fernandez and I'm the uh, CEO of Block Gemini and it's a pleasure to be uh, you know, on the podcast today. Awesome. How are you doing, Chris? Uh, the markets are, uh, you know, uh, it's a bloodbath, but, yeah. uh, you know, nothing new in the Bitcoin space. I've been around for a long time, so I started getting used to this. So I sleep well at night. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So um, can you tell us a bit more about Blockgemini and what you guys do? Yeah, I mean, ideally, Blockgemini is, uh, is a very, you know, I like I try to create the all-star team of uh, developers. So we're a very uh, qualified dev team. We're blockchain agnostic. Uh, we, we look at the use case and then we decide, okay, this is uh, the right blockchain to be used. And uh, here we are in the UAE uh, back in Jan 2017, started getting a lot of calls from people asking about smart contracts. You know, they weren't asking about Bitcoin, weren't asking about Ether, but they're asking about blockchain and smart contracts. So that's where uh, we are today. Are you only operating in the UAE or? Uh, internationally, but primarily uh, most of our discussions, most of the events we're taking part of, are we're seeing great results uh, here and uh, smart to buy initiatives or even just the government, um, all the new protocols being put in place, the infrastructure is really uh, creating a lot of interest among enterprises. And um, would you mind walking us through like the history? When was it established? Yeah. How big were you? How big are you? So um, Jan 2017, phone started ringing off the hook. Officially, uh, since July 2017, we have our trade license. Um, since then, we're now around 100 employees. We have, have a second office. Uh, so the second office is in India, in Bangalore. And then we have around 80 to 90 people here on the ground in Dubai. So why did you choose Dubai? It's, it's actually Dubai chose us. Uh, it's funny because everywhere I travel, whether it's to Seoul, whether it's to, you know, to London, uh, everyone's trying to ask me, you know, what, what's going on in Dubai? Tell us what their secrets are. Tell us, you know, what's coming next. And, um, you know, it, it's clear Dubai is, uh, you know, ahead of a lot of major cities. And um, that's, that's Dubai just kind of put us in the right place uh, where we are. Yeah, I guess that's happened to me quite a few times as well. Just when, when I'm traveling, I'm traveling at least once a month. Um, and when I go to these conferences, people are always asking, you know, what's going on in Dubai? What's what's happening? Like you said, it's it's something where there's a lot of sort of hidden secrets here, yeah. and it's just a, a bit maybe a bit harder to access information. But the, the, it's all there. It yeah. is all there. Yeah. And to okay, and so you, you said you're a dev shop essentially. Yeah. And what projects have you worked on? So we have many active projects right now, but uh, the ones that is kind of our core bread and butter, we're developing into actual products. Um, so one of them is our supply chain solution, which we're currently in phase four of. Uh, we sit on trucks, we test uh, using Hyperledger. We learned the hard way. Uh, so we started with 0.6 all the way 
now it's on Fabric 1.2, and it's just really hard to work in production environments. So uh, we have one pilot with a company called TriStar right now. There's around 100 trucks, um, and then that's uh, Enoch is a beneficiary of this pilot. It's uh, TriStar is the third-party logistics uh, provider for Enoch on that supply chain. So um, that's one of them, uh, and now we'll be rolling that out. We'll be sassing it, and we have a major announcement coming with the with a major cloud provider uh, who will bring this to the masses. Can you talk through the supply chain sort of use case and what, what mm -hmm. you're exactly doing? Uh, it's a combination of uh, the warehouse uh, also being kind of tokenized, placed on blockchain, or even imagine you're uh, billing a customer based on the amount of kilometers or the weight of the cargo. Uh, you tokenize that and then you, uh, you, know, you don't need a finance department to kind of go through everything. You have the transparency as on both sides and you have the integration. So what we ideally try to do is to create adapters that work with their ERP, um, allow them to make use of SAP today, or sorry, to make use of smart contracts today. And, uh, and then when they, when they do that, they, uh, you know, they can, they can have a seam, they can play around with smart contracts. And once they're fully comfortable, they can look towards going fully decentralized. Of course, uh, fully being fully decent, being decentralized is not the goal on day one. Uh, mm -hmm. It's the goal is to play around with the technology and then eventually reach that state. And and what what would be I mean um, like you mentioned you've been going through a lot of different use cases and different projects and so on. What would you say the the major selection criteria when it comes to enterprise use cases? Um, uh, not not only in regards to public or private blockchains or permissioned or permissionless, but when it comes to, for example, scalability, throughput, mm -hmm. what would you say the major uh, selection points would be in any use case that you're going through? So, yeah, the, 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 the main thing is to kind of decide what really needs to be on chain and what doesn't. I mean, we don't need to put like everyone's trying to put everything on chain. I don't think that's the best uh, the best idea or the best way to go about it. But uh, we, we actually look we'll actually just try to keep transaction hashes on chain. And and then, you know, it's very scalable with one of the uh, Hyperledger projects we have right now. We're able to scale up to 3000 plus uh, transactions per second. So. Mm -hmm. Uh, scalability is not the number one thing, but we're also, uh, whether we're tying into a public identity or how we interface through interoperability with other chains is also a concern in many instances. A lot of enterprises are concerned that if they adopt uh, one particular niche of a blockchain that they won't be able to integrate in the future with, you know, let's say everyone's using Hyperledger. So there's lots of uh, misconceptions, lots of people that are concerned on which technology to choose first, and mm -hmm. uh, that's that's kind of slows people down in their thought process. So interoperability is a very um, key uh, yeah. metric to look at. Um, I mean, could you let us know more on how, how you approach that and how do you scale it for the future? I think right now in a pilot level, interoperability is mainly through working with centralized systems and then going on chain. Uh, at this point, I'm not seeing too much cross-ledger uh, projects on a pilot level taking place. Um, but I guess at least in the crypto world, uh, you know, you have a lot of different uh, tools, atomic swaps. There's lots of things you can do on public blockchains, but on a, on a private environment, uh, you know, I don't see the need for it uh, to really be used today. So we're talking a bit about enterprise um, applications here, and it looks like from it usually goes from a POC concept then to a pilot and then sort of a production. Is that right? Uh, well, with what we did with TriStar, for example, we went straight to pilot. Mm -hmm. uh, so we didn't, you know, a POC for us was actually 
the pilot though it was called a poc it was a like a first stage pilot so um yeah i mean it's uh, it, normally that is the, that is the course or the roadmap but you start with the poc and then if, if things work out well then you, you decide to deploy in a more uh, you know uh, defined manner in regards to actual sort of going to production um so you said this tristar supply chain project is in production already yeah. Um, what about the other projects that you've worked on? So yeah, along the way, we started getting a lot of phone calls. A lot of people saying, you know, Chris, uh, we need this many nodes. It's going to be a Hyperledger blockchain or, you know, everyone had their own requirement. 90% of the time it was Hyperledger. So we noticed there was a lot of repetitive work. Uh, so we decided to create a blockchain platform. We didn't actually, well, we didn't decide, decide to make it a blockchain platform as a service initially. We actually made it as an internal tool to help us and then... It just so happened to turn out to be a blockchain platform as a service. It's a new product that we've built. Uh, we'll be releasing it to the public soon uh, with a major cl cloud provider. And uh, with this, you can do something on-premise. You can do it in the cloud. It's, you know, it's, we have the source. We're, we're considering whether we make it open source or not. And uh, you, you can launch a blockchain within literally 10 minutes without knowing a single piece of code. Uh, and then now in version 1.2, we'll be having the smart contract. So you can select two stakeholders. Uh, you can plug in different parameters, decentralized data, and then just write, you know, push an entire smart contract without knowing how a single line of chain code or anything goes into it. It's all point and click. So this is where blockchain's heading. It is, uh, there is a need for this, especially in organizations where they don't have the expertise, where they want to work with blockchain and not get in a position where they disrupt their infrastructure. And then another project that we have going on, we're just kind of anticipating the market. We're kind of seeing what governments abroad are doing, get, you know, kind of getting a feel for what's coming next. You know, there's so many paper-based processes that are PDF or paper stamp that it's clear that it's going to go to blockchain. So uh, we have our customs uh, dashboard that we've already built. It uh, fully runs on Hyperledger. And uh, we're just waiting for, you know, the authorities or the infrastructure uh, to come out and then this will be plug and play and our goal is to be in the right place at that time to push these products. And you mentioned about the, um, I'm sure you've been around a couple of times and so on, but are you noticing any kind of trends when it comes to enterprise um, or the usage of blockchain in enterprise? Is there like a, a perceived conception about the, the real merits of blockchain and how it fits? Because We've been hearing a lot of people say like there's nothing new about this technology or especially, for example, the backing sector. So yeah. they're trying to kind of take that stand. But what kind of trends have you noticed? It's, it's tough to see a trends, the trends that are taking place. Uh, you know, there's one trend I notice a lot of organizations or major enterprises is one. They have more than 50,000 employees. They spend more on their coffee for their employees than looking into <laughs> blockchain. <laughs> Uh, that trend is actually is, is going in the inverse now where they are actually all starting to look into blockchain, okay. investing in it, learning more about it. I think everyone's kind of in the exploration phase. I know there's a lot of requirements that are being drawn up. There's tons of people looking into this. I've been brought into some very boiler room meetings with top level execs uh, from multi-billion dollar enterprises and they and they have you know they're, they're talking about their master plans. Unfortunately, I won't be able to discuss that today, but uh, yes, it's I think there's a lot coming. And uh, this is, uh, there's everyone's kind of looking into it. Okay, and do you think that 2019 could be sort of the year of the enterprise in blockchain? Yeah, I, I was reading some really conflicting numbers. Somebody was saying that enterprise blockchain will be around $60 billion in 2020. 
at the same time, uh, you know, Smart Dubai predicts that there will be $9.3 billion generated by a certain period. So I think it, in a lot of use cases, there's cle- it's clear how much value it can bring. So it's very easy to hit those numbers once it's deployed. So I just hope that all our deployments uh, are, you know, are executed internationally on time. And I'm not just referring to Dubai in that, I'm referring, or UAE for that, I'm, you know, to the North America, to Western Europe. If any of these governments start throwing in blockchain-related infrastructure in the communities or in their current processes, it's very easy for us to see, you know, $60 billion being plowed into the space by uh, 2020. Yeah, and I think that number is, I mean, the way things are going now, it's very much realistic. Yeah. But yeah. again, not sure how it will turn out. But a more direct question, I mean, and this could be your, your own personal view into things. Do you normally take one of the extreme sides being a blockchain purist, only believing in public use cases, public blockchain, yeah. or going into the other direction of saying there is no blockchain and this is nothing new and so on? Do you actually see value in enterprise blockchain instead of being like a public permissionless kind of an environment? Uh, To be honest, like if there's a particular use case and it doesn't require blockchain, I'll be fully, uh, fully honest and say, look, don't don't even consider it. Most people don't understand how tough it is to be scalable. And when they find out, they just kind of question why blockchain. Well, why blockchain is smart contracts. You know, if the ability to work with smart contracts is is going to be revolutionary when you're talking about micro litigation or just, uh, you know, holding somebody to something without having to go to court. It's it's just that's that's kind of where we're heading is uh, trying to find more use cases where people actually start engaging in smart contracts. We're yet to see that. We're not seeing any parties that are, you know, forget about paper-based contract, but engaging or, you know, litigating through a smart contract. So once we see that or once that really hits the masses, that's when we'll truly feel the real uh, power or strength of blockchain. And what would you say that, I mean, like a single piece that is currently missing? I know there are a lot of other pieces missing, but what would you say like um, a prominent piece to be put in place for that to be achieved? I mean, being able to litigate over smart yeah. contracts to get to the 60 yeah. billion I, I, I think yeah. hardware is just not caught up yet to where we are with software just having a decentralized iot hardware device right now technically doesn't exist mm-hmm. so it makes you makes it really hard for you to you know a lot of trucks for example or cold chains to make use of of blockchain or smart contracts when their iot device can't be decentralized so i mean a mobile device you have a lot better chances of that but I think we're waiting for more of the hardware to catch up. Mm-hmm. And what about the legal aspects? Do you, what, what is your point of view when it comes to that? Are we there yet? Do we have a long way to go? I'm looking more on a B2B legal. So, I mean, if two organizations want to create some sort of a vanilla contract that were to honor, let's say, a token balance or honor, uh, you know, the decisions that are, or the output of a smart contract, I think that's, that's feasible today. Uh, whether you could take somebody to court or whether, uh, you know, an insurer can can get involved on, on a sm- in smart contracts or blockchain right now, I think we're, it's too early for that. But I think on a B2B level, that would be the first steps. I've been speaking to a lot of law firms and uh, they are all looking at, think- they're all thinking about bringing arbitration, all kinds of different processes. Open Law is a great project as well. Uh, and, uh, you know, you can see it, it heading that way, but I don't think it's anywhere close to where it should be. I, I do have a question regarding your um, an, an earlier comment that you made. So, on so you said 
the main reason why people should use blockchains is because of smart contracts. Mm -hmm. So now let's say we have a private implementation and you have smart contracts running on that private blockchain and more permission blockchain, wouldn't that if or then sort of the, the smart contract ideology where it's if and then sort of logic, can't you just implement that on a traditional software? You can, but uh, at the same time, then, you know, the data that you're plugging into this contract, the smart contract has to be decentralized or it just doesn't work. So if, if what you're feeding it is, uh, you know, is trustable data on both sides of, of the, of the no or the stakeholders, uh, then it's, it's, it's acceptable with, with traditional, uh, you know, it becomes a lot tougher and especially when you have adapters that are interfacing with your ERP, uh, you know, you could, Ideally, it's ideally not decentralized, but if you're talking about, let's say, speed or, uh, you know, certain locations and you're tracking it through a mobile blockchain SDK, then, you know, it's pretty close to decentralized, if not 100% decentralized. So um, that's where it's, it's getting complicated. But I think, uh, you know, we have to make these uh, baby steps towards reaching that end goal of having it fully decentralized or whether we need it at that stage. Uh, in the first place today, you know, the main goal is to be able to make use of blockchain now, uh, rather than ripping everything apart and saying, "Hey, let's you know, let's build something that does that we know is going to be uh, good, and then it doesn't work out, or we have some downtime in between." So, in in the t in this sort of tech stack that enterprises are using, will blockchain just be another part of the tech stack? Um, will it just be sort of being added on to the existing legacy infrastructure? Yeah. What's that's uh, so that's kind of what we're focusing on just creating a protocol layer on top uh, of their existing i like to call it legacy uh, <laughs> systems but and then allowing them to play around with it but more importantly also uh this it go it, it heads down in a granular level where now let's say you even have truck drivers that are passing data to the erp or you know you have like kind of a gateway or a protection layer that sits on top of your erp and then now uh you can kind of open it up more uh, so, you know, in, in many ways, blockchain does uh, provide a lot of security. You know, if you just think about, uh, you know, some somebody, got, there was a major ride hailing app that got hacked and uh, 17 million or 30 million passengers data got, you know, imagine that was on blockchain uh, and then their ERP was kind of held behind. So, I mean, there's so many, there's so many arguments that can, that can come into play. Uh, but I think, I think blockchain is you know, really unique in many ways. One thing we, we discussed before actually recording this podcast um, was regarding IP um, and how different companies or different, let's say, enterprises and corporations actually come in and do anything regarding blockchain in collaboration with a, with a different company. That project would essentially, has to be owned by one particular entity. And you see so many um, blockchain patent um, findings. I think... Bank of America and IBM, they've got so many. Mm -hmm. um, I can't remember the, the last stat, but when, in your sort of dealings before, when it comes to IP, how important is it sort of for the for the other counterparties? I think IP is everything. Everyone listening uh, to this this podcast right now, they might be on a smartphone or they might be using a mobile some sort of mobile device, and uh, you know royalties are being paid to Qualcomm uh, just from them being in the right place at the right time. Uh, Pat, you know now is that time with with this the Qualcomm moment is taking place right now with blockchain. So you find a lot of projects that are coming out that don't share the IP with the, you know. Can you say what Qualcomm is just for those? As oh, in, yeah. yeah. Qualcomm's a major uh, telecommunications uh, giant that uh, creates chips 
you know, mobile cellular chips, uh, 3G CDMA chips, and uh, they invented the technology. Uh, they, or they IP'd the technology many years ago, or invented it rather. And um, today they're still, uh, you know, their tech, they're still, their IP is still in play basically. So what you're finding is a lot of, you know, enterprise blockchain projects that are hitting the market, hitting the masses, but uh, the, the, the stakeholders that want to be a part of these projects are reluctant to because uh, it benefits uh, either a competing or, you know, like let's take the IBM Maersk, uh, trade lens project. I was reading in the news that you know a lot of people don't want to join this project because uh, IBM and Maersk own all the IP. So mm-hmm. you know if you're a major port operator or shipping line and you want to you know uh, join this, it's very easy to, but you're benefiting your competitor. So yeah. it's uh, it gets really you know it's really tough. To, it gets really tough in this stage, and that's why a lot of organizations are creating uh, their own projects uh, independently. So then how will blockchain become a thing if the actual technologies that they're creating and implementing are siloed like the current yeah. and existing legacy systems that we live in today? <laughs> it's funny because blockchain was actually created uh, with zero IP in mind. And, exactly. and now these uh, organizations are coming in and, come, you know, they're trying to do it the Microsoft route. And. Uh, it's it's not it's gonna it's not I'm not I don't, don't want to say it's gonna fail or it's gonna work but I'm, I'm saying a lot of people are disliking it. Yeah, and I think that's one of the major reasons where why adoption is delayed so much. I mean, because no real value will come up if everyone is building his own silo. You know, um, a, lo- a lot of projects that I've been looking at is, I mean, the Mars example is one of them where a giant just builds something and then expects everyone just to join in, and in many cases they are competitors. Yeah. So it doesn't work. I mean, that model proved it's, um, that it's not the best or not the ideal way of doing things. But at the same time, n- not, not, not a lot of these organizations are willing to collaborate on that level, on that coherent and very detailed level. Sometimes because they just ask the question, what's in it for me? Sometimes it, they don't have the capability. Sometimes they, they don't have the right governance process in place and so on. So the, the use case gets lost. In translation, I would say, yeah, definitely. The, there's a lot of people that are that they see the advantage in the technology. They're trying to monopolize uh, right now, and they, they're probably going to get pretty far with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the only thing is, to the guys that want to work with this technology, uh, they're at a huge disadvantage. So we're getting bullied around, uh, in essence. So we need to come up with more independent projects and try to deliberate a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Okay, and what about the? For example, the the bigger dev shops like IBM, PwC, mm-hmm. who are also competing for sort of these RFPs or requests for proposals um, mm-hmm. to um, actually create these different yeah. projects. How how are you competing with that? Sim sim similar to the IP uh, chatter here. Uh, you know they they they've designed their products in many ways to only be used on their cloud. So they kind of lock you in, you get tied in with their AMC and, um, you know, it actually does bring a lot of value. It opens you up to a lot of products, but it doesn't offer you the flexibility. It's kind of like an off the shelf product that you can't customize. If you want to work on premise, it's just not an option. 
So the, the, the main question is why? Why do I have to use your cloud? Why can't I use this on-premise? And obviously the reason is the, you know, they want to lock you in because they have a product that very few people have right now. So uh, that's another example of, of people kind of bullying the customer, not giving them the flexibility to use their own, use their own infrastructure. And uh, you know, I hope that changes. Uh, and at Blockgemini, we believe in that uh, liberation. So you know, all of our tools, whether it's on-premise or whether it's in the cloud of your choice, it's available so we don't lock you down like that so I hope more organizations adopt this nature and I mean while on that topic what would you say like the challenges that you're facing when you're kind of competing with those I would say incumbent giants to be honest I haven't been that would that's that's a huge selling point for us that an organization can pick uh, they can work on-prem and they can use our blockchain platform as a service or any of our products. I think another challenge is, you know, these organizations that have massive relationships, they have a lot of marketing power, they uh, are throwing this buzzword, which, you know, when I, I've been around for quite some time, so I would never in my back in 2014, 2013, I never imagined IBM would be throwing around the word blockchain as much as it is today. Uh, but it is, and uh, you know, people are are taking their word over the guy that's on Bitcoin Talk, and mm-hmm. and probably you know <laughs> contributed to what blockchain is today. So I, I I think I think that's fine. I think these these major giants coming into the industry only adds value. Uh, so it's 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 a mix of it's a mix of emotions. I, I am I am uh, going head to head in a lot of deals with people that are. Uh, you know, well marketed and uh, quite established in organizations. So, uh, but I'm 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 able to turn a page and, and open their minds to new innovation that uh, these uh, you know textbook uh, off the shelf product type uh, enterprises aren't really thinking the same way as us. Okay, and how how does 2019 look look for you? Uh, 2019, actually, I mean, so we try to stay away from crypto. We've never sold any coins. We are 100% uh, privately funded. So for 2019 for the crypto market, my guess is as good as yours. It's a very scary time in crypto. For blockchain, on the other hand, you know, you'd seen, you've probably seen a lot more RFPs, you see a lot more projects coming out from enterprises this year than last. I think that that growth is going to just, you know, it's going to go exponentially. Um, I think next year is going to be like where we start seeing actual pilots, deployments. We see, we have, uh, you know, case studies. And then once we have this data, then, you know, the funds will flow in easily. And one final question, maybe this is like a far-fetched one. I mean, what, what is your view on the technology itself? Is it, is it, will it, will it deliver the promises that we hear or is it just overhyped or will it, will it be something that affects every citizen's daily life and so on, yeah. these kind of... I, I think it already has, you know, you, you'll notice uh, like a lot of our team, uh, they used to use the traditional methods of sending uh, funds to India or Russia or Ukraine or you know even Canada, and they, when they'd send it to the through the bank, let's say a thousand dirhams would be nine seventy five on arrival, mm-hmm. and now a thousand dirhams uh, turns into one thousand one hundred in India. So what you're seeing is on in when you're surround you you're, see, you're seeing a relationship where if you have capital freedom like we do here in the UAE, Bitcoin actually sells at par. Uh, whereas if you go to countries like India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, China, Russia, South Korea, the whole the list goes on. Uh, you'll notice that Bitcoin's trading at a heavy premium. So if it's it's safe to say that if your country doesn't have capital freedoms, uh, people uh, you know pay a premium for Bitcoin. So it's it's interesting if I can take a thousand dirhams here and I can send it to India and I can get one thousand one hundred. 
uh, what all those people waiting outside the exchange houses or in the banks, uh, you know, could they be up for disruption next? Um, with the way Bitcoin looks today with the sudden drops, I don't think so. It's not uh, ready to scale to a remittance market. But, you know, there is, I think, something like, I, I think you were saying the fact the other day, like 100, 140 billion dirhams a year in remittances out of just this country alone. Is, I'm not sure if that's numbers right. Uh, so, you know, there is opportunity there. And I think Bitcoin is the poster child. We, we're all talking about something, you know, that uh, was kind of like a domestic project and then it kind of went international. Yeah, that's because with blockchain, it's very easy for you to hop on the network. It's very easy for you to be a participant. Anyone can join. It's different from your local bank where you have to go through this paper-based process to be, um, you know, to be a member or to have an account. So I think once the governments, they start coming out with identity solutions and I have my identity on blockchain the same way that I can easily be a participant in the Bitcoin blockchain, I can easily be a participant in any government uh, you know, a citizen right or citizen uh, project or app that I need to be a part of. So we're just waiting for those things to come out and I think they'll really open up the doors. Awesome. So how could um, people get in touch with you, Chris? Yeah, feel free to uh, visit our website. Uh, you can go on uh, blockgemini.com and uh, we are fully available there. Great stuff. No, thank you very much, Chris, for, for getting on the show. Um, and for those of you who... Um, like the podcast and and haven't subscribed please subscribe to the podcast um, and please also give a review those reviews help the show a lot um, again once once again thanks a lot for coming on chris thanks very much thank you guys see you soon Take care.